0: Happy almost holidays, everyone, and welcome to Roman Go Lightly, a podcast for creative adventures. Hello everyone, it's me, Laura. I'm the creator of Roman Go Lightly. If you don't know who I am, <laughs> um, we're a podcast and blog whose mission is to help everyone find a little bit of inspiration and in everyday adventure around every corner. Um, We approach adventure as a perspective, meaning it can be experienced on any block, in any town, large or small, um, with a creative approach. And we also believe that adventure could be hopping on a plane as well to experience a new and exciting culture. It's not just one thing or the other, it's a perspective and we want to give it to you every single minute of the day if you want it. We also believe in inspiration for everyone, so if you're working 9 to 5, if you're your own boss, if you're trained, if you're a novice, even if you're just an appreciator of the arts, we want to fuel you to find inspiration everywhere you are, um, as well as that adventure component as well. Every Monday, I'll be sitting down with some of the ladies and gentlemen that inspire me in the hopes to extract ideas and inspiration to help you lead that adventurous and creative lifestyle that you're hunting for. So happy holidays everyone! Um, I hope everyone's getting those warm and cozy feelings around them. Um, have you checked out our recent blog post? If you haven't, we're teaming up with Luma to share some unexpected Netflix, Netflix picks um, to help you fulfill um, a little bit of wanderlust that you might have around this time of year. Um, it's always exciting to think about what the next year might hold and what adventures we could find ourselves in. So. Um, you know, enjoy your time on the couch, but get inspired about what's out there in the world as well. So, um, yeah, check out our blog post that we teamed up with Luma and uh, yeah, we sort of wanted to choose some unexpected, some unobvious choices. Um, So if you're finding yourself on the couch over the holidays, make sure you see the list and, you know, get binging. Today, I'm really honored to be sitting down with Beth Kirby, a freelance stylist, photographer, and recipe developer curator of rich experiences, traveler of the world, and wonderful writer. Beth's blog, Local Milk Blog, is a conglomeration of seasonal recipes, simple gatherings, travel guides, retreats and workshops, and reflections on living a quiet and slow, intentional approach to life. Beth's uh, blog has been featured in everything from Food & Wine Magazine, Kinfolk, Food52, and more, and today she's chatting with us. So thank you so much for joining us, Beth. Um, Yeah, I'm so excited to go into this. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
1: Well, um, I am a newly married new mom. (laughs) We had our one-year anniversary in July, and our baby was born in August. And I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I'm a photographer, stylist, recipe developer with a blog called Local Milk and an events company, a travel retreat company called Local Milk Retreats.
0: Fantastic. So can you tell us a little bit about Local Milk's origins? So how did you figure out what the focus of your blog would be? Was it organic or did it just sort of happen over time?
1: Um, It was super organic. I, you know, I'm I think a lot of creative people tend towards, you know, dilettantism, Jack of all trades, master of none. I'd been really interested in a million things throughout my 20s, but I found that cooking was the one thing that always abided for me. So even when my life was not going so well, you know, I would kind of lose interest like I was painting at one point, you know. Things go bad, I'm not painting anymore, I'm not really reading anymore. So Like for me, I was married early in my 20s. That fell apart. So I'm newly divorced, not doing too well. And like the only thing I was still doing at that point, that really low point, was cooking. So when I kind of climbed out of that hole, I thought, well, what am I going to do with my life? And I thought it would make sense to do the one thing that's always been easy for me to do. And that was cooking. So the blog started as a food blog, but has evolved into something much bigger than that.
0: I think that like the wonderful thing about cooking is that it's a ne- it's a necessity art form like Yes, exactly. You have to cook um to eat. Uh so there I mean there's a absolutely like there has to be an art form to it um and some of us definitely have refined it more than others such as yourself. Uh But uh I yeah, I I totally connect with that as well and I think that I've always wanted to know where the name local milk came from. Um
1: well Sort of the concept behind it is that it's about, it sounds sort of just political, like you know, local food, eat local, which is part of it. You know, I'm just really into local seasonal eating like most people are right now. Um, but for me, it's a metaphor. Local means being present, being where you are. Milk is just sustenance, all forms of sustenance, emotional, physical, spiritual, what have you. So it's just about being present and finding sustenance where you are when you're there.
0: Beautiful. I think you have such a great way of, um, speaking about your art of cooking. Um, one of my favorite things that you've mentioned is, uh, uh, I'll just read you this little quote that I've pieced out for myself. So you said that art is a divine ancient art, the elevation of a biological need. So what, can you tell us about your relationship to the art of cooking? Um, you sort of mentioned a little bit about going through a divorce and finding yourself enjoying cooking, but were you always someone who was in the kitchen?
1: Um, I was always someone who liked to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Um, yeah, I I grew up with a family that didn't have much cooking in it. Uh, my grandmother was sort of the cook. She passed away when I was 14, but that's where I was first introduced to cooking was in her kitchen. She was a very Southern cook. You know, lots of biscuits, lots of Southern sides, turnip greens, what have you. Um, but it wasn't until a few years after she died in my late teens that I really, kind of connected my love of eating with my love of cooking. So I I cooked as a little kid a lot, you know, I have this one little cookbook, and I love to do it. But I really started cooking in earnest in my late teens, and never stopped. I'm completely self taught. And it was just something that I just I naturally wanted to do and naturally had an aptitude for.
0: So teenage years is when you sort of found yourself Enjoying the process of cooking.
1: Yes, that's when I finally started doing it. And then in college, I moved to New Orleans, and you know the food culture there is so rich that that inspired a whole new layer to my cooking. And I really got into it then because you know you've got your own house, your own kitchen. Now you're entertaining and kind of playing at being a grown up, <laughs> <laughs> I, though you do not realize you were playing at it at the time. But um, yeah, I got really serious when I was in New Orleans. So around I was about seventeen, eighteen, nineteen that age
0: beautiful i i'm i love that you brought up like the new orleans food culture do you, when you find yourself traveling cuz you have traveled quite a lot um when you find yourself traveling do you find yourself picking up whether that's like skills or ingredients or different like inspiration from where you are visiting
1: Yes, this is a huge thing my husband and I talk about all the time is, you know, people often ask me, like, what's the creative process behind your cooking? And I'm like, I don't know, I just make it. But <laughs> if I think about it, there is a process, it's just sort of a automatic process. And it's you take that one piece, that local piece, where am I and what season is it? That's the first thing that makes me decide which ingredients to use. And then there's the second piece. I actually keep a list in Evernote called Inspiring Flavors. And it's just an ever-evolving list of flavors and ingredients that inspire me. And it is largely accumulated through my travels. So it's a global pantry of everything for preserved lemons to umeboshi, za'atar, lapsang souchong tea, just like all these herbs, spices, vinegars, and little things that I come across when I'm traveling. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this?
0: I love it. I think that, I, I have to know, is there a particular flavor that you're drawn to right now? I
1: have a list. Again, like <laughs> I would say that I just did a workshop yesterday. A workshop is almost like a mini crash course form of a retreat and I cooked, the, I wrote and cooked the entire menu and I felt like that menu really um, had a lot of the flavors that are inspiring me right now. Um, a lot of Middle Eastern spices. Um, what else was there? The coriander, the za'atar, I say it wrong.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to (laughs) me. I was
1: actually hanging out with an Israeli friend the other day, and he was saying everything correctly, and I was like, wow, I never knew how wrong I was. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, turmeric was a big thing in there. Um, But, yeah, the Middle Eastern spices are what I'm really feeling, and I I have a constant um, Japanese thing going on in my kitchen, so there's always that.
0: Lovely. I think like I, when I'm looking at your retreats right now, I would love to know what sort of goes into the process of choosing wherever your location is. And then you were saying how you determine your ingredients and what you're cooking for that after you make that decision. Can you just talk about that process a little bit about choosing your location and what goes into this whole retreat and uh, the workshops and everything that you're doing with your new, new venture? I'm so excited to hear about it.
1: Um. You know, it's often really serendipitous. It's either we find an amazing house. You know, I see, because it's actually rare that you find a house that's super amazing on the outside, super amazing on the inside, you know, beautifully decorated, a beautiful place. It's also in an interesting location, and it can house, like, 10 to 12 people comfortably um, with a kitchen and everything you need. So when you find a location like that, you know, that can trigger it, or I'll meet someone amazing, either they'll be a guest at a retreat, or a colleague, or just someone that I meet through Instagram, and we'll start talking, Of like, hey, I happen to know all of this, like, for instance, I do one with uh, Skye McAlpine in Venice, she's like, I just happen to know some people with this amazing Renaissance Palazzo with original frescoes in Venice on the Grand Canal, would you like to do a retreat there? Yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, it's either through meeting people or finding these locations, or, you know, now my husband and I are running it together. So we'll brainstorm countries that we feel, you know, aren't being tapped as much as others and look for locations and look for people, or maybe we'll already know someone there. So right now, you know, we have a little short list of places that we'd like to do little reconnaissance missions to and check out. And, you know, it's a, it's a long process, but it just sort of, everything falls into place. It's when there's the right house, the right partner on the ground, in the right location. And then it just all happens.
0: It sounds like a very serendipitous thing, but it, when I, we should mention too, that the whole retreat and escapes that you guys are working on are all about slow living. Can you explain what slow living is to people who don't know?
1: Um, you know, I think slow living is a twofold thing. Um, slow living is, you know, What you would think of when someone says slow living, it is that balance, that slowing down, taking time to be with humans, with friends and family, to make a cup of tea, to make a great cup of coffee, to read a book, work in a garden, knit something, make something by hand. But I think on the other hand, slow living for me especially is about the time it takes and the hard work it takes to produce something great. I mean, you look at, say, the farmers who are producing the local produce we use. I would consider their lifestyle slow living. A small, organic farm is taking the slow, hard way to produce something much greater than the fast, easy, sort of large commercial farm way. But these people are by no means, like laying around in hammocks drinking lemonade all day. It is a long, hard day. They are hard-working peoples. The work doesn't stop. So it doesn't necessarily just connote leisure to me. It connotes hard work and doing things the slow, hard way for a better result, but also connotes balance and knowing when to stop working so that you can continue to do that good work. Um, So our slow-living retreats really focus on the beautiful side, on the fact that if you ever want to produce something good, you really need to take time to be quiet, to be still, to just get inspired. Because if you're working constantly at a frenetic pace, um, your work is going to suffer. Mine does. If I keep saying yes to jobs, I will eventually do a bad job. <laughs> um, so you really have to have, I think it in a culture that's so fast, um, I think it takes a lot of self-discipline to slow down and... We try to give people that opportunity and that inspiration to slow down and give them just a beautiful experience that they can walk away from completely rejuvenated and energized and ready to go off and create whatever it is they do. Whether it's ceramics or photography or they're in business or they're a stay-at-home mom, everyone can benefit from that.
0: Yeah. And I think it's, it's wonderful that you're also giving them this retreat experience as well. Like they are getting to immerse themselves in potentially a new culture in a new place um, without having that rush, rush, rush to go sightsee and do all the, I think one thing I've experienced as someone who's traveled is when you have such a limited time to see and do everything in a different country, you don't really get to take that moment of quietness and of silence to actually appreciate where you are. Um, so I think, the tr- the retreat aspect too is really really interesting for people to experience as well, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's a different approach to travel, and that's something that we sort of pride ourselves on. And that's why we tend to partner with people who are local or on the ground or from there or who've lived there, because we don't want people to have the typical tourist experience. We want to show you where the locals eat, feed you local food, meet local uh, makers and artisans and farmers. Um, so we don't want to have that typical experience, but also we don't want to rush around. We like to have lots of downtime for our guests, you know, to just relax and breathe and really sort of pick the activities we do.
0: That's yeah. And, and it sounds so dreamy the way that you're describing it. <laughs> Gotta come. Awesome,
1: I will say. I got it. Really enjoy putting
0: them on. I'm t- you're talking me into this, Beth. I'm like, how am I going to say, how am I not going to figure out how to go to one of these? <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, there are a lot of work to put on, you know, from the, the non-guest end, but I think it's because, you know, we, and I was, my husband and I were talking about this this morning, we consider these to be like really special experiences. Um, we want them to be once in a lifetime, life-changing, you know, really give people. We find that a lot of people who come are in sort of a transitional period in some way or another Um, And a lot of people really do use the retreats to retreat and to really think on that new direction and, you know, find whatever it is they're looking for. And so we put a ton of effort into making them really, really special. They're not just, you know, tours. And that's why we don't call them workshops anymore. A lot of people are in the business of doing photography and styling workshops now. And we don't want to just appeal to would-be bloggers. Um, We love it when we get would-be bloggers. And a lot of the people that I've taught have gone on to become my partners in events and have just done such amazing work. It's been so cool to see. But we want everybody to come. We want to appeal to anyone who has an adventurous spirit, really likes food, is creative, thoughtful, just wants to have this experience. So we're kind of leaving the the workshoppy workshops to, um, people who really want to focus on that. And we're trying to focus on the travel aspect.
0: Yeah. I think that's, it's a really good thing to, to really focus on too, because there are so many workshops where you can learn so many amazing things. But one thing I'm noticing about what you guys have been promoting with your, with your retreats is that you really want people to come and have an experience working with their hands, with storytelling, with mm-hmm. like basically reaching for whatever it is that they, they want to reach, whether that's something with cooking, with photography or otherwise. So it sounds like such a great experience. Um, so not to talk myself into this anymore, but, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, okay. If someone could not come to the retreat, um, and you know, maybe they're working nine to five, um, yeah. And, you know, obviously cooking is sometimes felt as an obligation for people. Um, I'm wondering if you have any ideas or any insight on how we can take away this feeling of obligation towards cooking. And what what advice would you send them so that they could feel more inspired by the art of cooking?
1: Um You know, I think for someone who's super down to earth, my answer might be irritatingly grandiose sounding, (laughs) like I'm making cooking sound like more than it is, but I don't think that's the case. I think that it is a magical business, the business of living, and when you really kind of appreciate, and I use the word magical metaphorically, take that as you will, Um, but it's, it's, um, it's amazing. And the kitchen becomes a sacred place when you think of how amazing life itself is. You have this the sun, the rain bring forth flora and fauna, and we appreciate their beauty and consume it metaphorically. But then, once we physically consume it, it sustains our bodies, and then we Apply heat and seasoning, fermentation. We transmute it in the kitchen and then we eat it and ideally around the table with loved ones. So there's this social act fueling us even more. And then we go on to laugh, cry, worry, sleep, have great love affairs, heartbreak, sit on the couch and watch Netflix, whatever it is you do. And this is all from the energy of the plants and in the omnivores case, the animals that we have consumed and it's like food is the man behind the curtain of it all like all of the energy that we have in our human affairs comes from this simple act of cooking and eating
0: wow it is magic I mean there's no yeah. denying it's, it's it's potions class it's uh yeah. it's chemistry it's everything okay. that you just said yeah, whether
1: you're more of the mystical persuasion and you kind of want to see it as like the kitchen witchcraft or of the scientific persuasion and the um, kitchen science of it, I kind of fall on both sides. I'm one of those people that doesn't really swing either way. I really appreciate both uh, views of it. I love the science of cooking um, and the math of it really. Um, but it's just no matter what your personality type, I think that you can really, um, nerd out on it, whether you want to get really poetic or whether like me, I'm really into digital scales and spreadsheets and ratios, um, also. So
0: nice. I think that, um, whenever you go to your blog, there are so many recipes to go through and you have such a great way of describing the process and so many stories and anecdotes that go with it. So I'm wondering, um. You're in the process of redesigning right now, but once it's reopened, is there a recipe or a dish you would suggest for someone who's new to your blog?
1: Um, you know, I would say that there's always the the buttermilk biscuits and my marshmallows <laughs> were kind of my staples in the beginning of blogging, and I still love those recipes so much. Um, but of the newer recipes, like the things I really want to cook right now, um, it's actually the newest recipe. When this goes live, it may not be the newest recipe, but one of our newer recipes is um, uh, my husband and I actually wrote the recipe together, so it was really fun because he's really into beer. I've always loved the mussels. So it's a Cezanne steamed mussels with preserved lemons and saffron and some other stuff. I'd have to look at the <laughs> recipe. <laughs> um, but I really like it because, um, you know, we're trying to eat lighter and healthy. I'm coming off of pregnancy. So it's light and it's easy and it's quick, but it feels really special. There's something about preserved lemons, saffron, mussels, Um, and you know, you just toast some bread and it's just the most amazing broth ever. So that right now is my favorite one and I crave that a lot, but you know, biscuits and marshmallows.
0: I, I, yeah, that is like soul food. That is (laughs) not just like, not soul food. I'm literally talking like good for the soul food. Like... (laughs) So incredible. So like I, you and you and your husband are both foodies. You're, I can only imagine like what your little one's going to be experiencing when, when she eats in the kitchen with you guys. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like I think in my head, I have this very like picturesque image of the two of you cooking and drinking and having a wonderful time in the kitchen. So I, I mean, I have to ask, is there like some kind of, um, totally going off, off track? Is there Fair like, right. is there a guilty pleasure food that the two of you indulge in? <laughs>
1: Um, that's like a really laughable question because the answer is yes. Categorically <laughs> yes and frequently. <laughs> um, you know, actually, I'm more the guilty pleasure one than he is. He's, he was actually vegan for 10 years. He's got really good uh, self-control and tends to uh, prefer good things. But he has a thing, and he'll hate me for saying this, for banana Laffy Taffy. And I think that's the
0: <laughs> That is so gross.
1: <laughs> um, mine would be Flamin' Hot Cheetos. I think
0: those are absolutely
1: delicious. Yes. Um those those are amazing. There's some some bad voodoo science behind making them, I'm sure. But um yeah, and that's just to name a few.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm glad to know that you guys are human and not, you know, yeah. Yes. M- magicians in the in the kitchen every day. <laughs>
1: you no, know, I could have given some really, like, horrible lie answer, like, well, I make these homemade cookies that are my guilty pleasure. <laughs> no, no, it's flaming Hot Cheetos.
0: And you know what? There are some amazing BuzzFeed articles that you can do with those things. Like, it's insane.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's, uh, every now and then I'm like, can I just incorporate that into one of my recipes? <laughs> like, it was no big deal. <laughs> is
0: that on brand?
1: yeah not quite.
0: <laughs> so, um I do not want to ignore the fact that your photography is so rich and um I remember I think I might have found you found you originally on Pinterest. Um just because of your images sticking out. Um so can you just tell us about your journey with like food styling and what What is it like when you're typically creating your images for your blog and for your travel? I just want to know like what's your what's your process and like what where did you start with photography?
1: Um, well, cooking is what motivated me to start with photography, because I had, you know, woke up one day and was going to have a food blog, and I was already a pretty solid cook, and I had really cool recipes in my estimation, and I published them, and no one cared, (laughs) because I didn't have pretty pictures, and it kind of dawned on me, oh, I have to have pretty pictures, I guess I should teach myself photography, so I got my dad's hand-me-down first-generation Canon Rebel with the kit lens and proceeded to struggle. I mean, struggle through teaching myself photography. I was very bad in the beginning. Um, but I think that there are benefits to being self-taught because you've gone down every road. You know every dead end. <laughs> um, so you really explore it thoroughly when you teach yourself. Um, so I started teaching myself and you know, realized, like, not only do I have to use the camera, I have to be able to arrange this stuff in a pleasing fashion. So I just started playing with it, and, you know, a few years later, I'm doing that obsessively for, uh, you know, many hours, almost every day, and I think that you eventually
0: get good at it. I think, like, the thing about your photography that's so awesome is that it's not, like, I feel like right now the... The trend is to be very white and purist. And when I look through your photography, it's so rich and it has such depth to it. And I, do you have like these images in your head before you shoot them? Or is it just through play, experimentation?
1: Um. Yeah, it just happens, honestly. Um, and, you know, I would say that I, I vacillate now more than I did. I like the bright images and the dark images. And I like minimalism and I like maximalism. Um, I like modern, I like rustic. So for me, it's always about synthesizing all those different things. Um, and yeah, I, someone actually, when I was teaching yesterday, she's like, I noticed you, you know, seem to shoot in the blue hour, like an evening a lot. You know, why is that? I was like, cause I'm not a morning person. <laughs> it just happens to be when I end up shooting. But that was really true in the beginning. And I ended up, um, really embracing dark food photography and, you know, now I don't, I used to almost exclusively shoot dark and now I shoot light and dark and I, I still, still love the dark. I love the chiaroscuro. girl. I just really like the depth that it gives the subject, but I tend to only shoot natural light. So when you're seeing dark food photos, I'm not really manufacturing that. It is dark when I took the photo.
0: And now <laughs> um, we know it, why.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, Exactly. Um, you know, I may edit a little bit for mood, but if it's bright, I'm going to go ahead and let that photo be bright. And if it's dark, I'm going to let it be dark.
0: And so, like, are you inspired by your natural surroundings, too, when you shoot, too? You're from Chattanooga originally, correct?
1: That's right. I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee.
0: <laughs> nice. I, I semi-noticed the adorable accent, but, you know. Um, so are you inspired by your surroundings when you're shooting? Is it – I mean, do you – I'm curious just to know if when you're shooting these images, if, you know, you were talking about the light and during the blue hours and so on, do you find yourself drawn to those atmospheres outside of shooting?
1: Um, Definitely. And I think for me, more than Tennessee, that was why I was drawn to Japan.
0: Um, oh, let's well. talk about Japan, because I similarly have an obsession with Japan.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like the Japanophile. Maybe there's actually a formal word for it's like being an Anglophile, but different.
0: Right. Um,
1: yeah, I. it was one of those places that I was always really drawn to, um, both as a cook and as a stylist and photographer, and I just always thought I'd really like it. You know, I just, I just knew I'd really like it, and a lot of the times you feel that way and then you go somewhere and you're like, oh... It's just a real place like other places. But for me, Japan really lived up to everything um, it was in my mind, which is not something I think you can say very frequently about a place. It was everything I thought it would be and continues to be. Even I'm um, going back, um, we're going back for our third retreat this coming March. Um, and I'm just as excited as I ever was. And it's just got this um, they really privilege darkness and the ephemerality of things so patina and shadow um brokenness even are considered to be part of the beauty of things um and I really like that because I think that privileges reality reality is shadow and light broken and whole and it doesn't um, sort of shove all that stuff in the corner it lets it be and you know esteems it which is nice
0: yeah, and the whole wabi sabi um element of Japanese art is so incredible and the the imperfect the perfectness of imperfectness is something that I always find myself drawn to with Japanese culture and like the ceramics and everything that you you mentioned before. So I have to ask, where have you been in Japan? Um that's
1: a big question. I would like need to look at a map. Um everywhere. We- <laughs> and also I'm really bad with names. Me too as well. So you know, we usually start in Tokyo, and then I've been to the Kiso Valley. There's these two old post towns called uh, Sumago and Magome. And, again, I'm probably pronouncing everything terribly. Um, we host our retreat further south um, on Kushio, which is the southernmost um, island. And we host it in the Aso Mountains in a place called Kurokawa, which is a hot spring town. We've been to Kyoto many times we went to Yufuin which I was not impressed by but it's another little hot spring town it was a little dingy um and then we went to this amazing um like tiny little almost unknown hot spring village um north of Kyoto up in the mountains and it was snowing even in April when we were there um and I can't remember the name and maybe I don't want to tell anyone the name
0: (laughs) keep it yeah keep
1: it your little secret secret and hidden and I'll probably on my blog, so not that's even hidden. Um, but yeah, we've really been all over. Um, gosh, we, oh, we went to this amazing Japanese fishing village called Une, Unicho. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> um, but our my friend and partner, her name's Haruka, um, and she has a blog and design company called um, the, Denizen, the Denizen Co., and she does portrait work as well, and she's um, full Japanese. Her parents moved to the States when she was, I think, maybe a few months old, so she's the reason I've been to all of these places. It should be noted that she tells me all the secret spots and knows the country really well and also speaks Japanese, which is very helpful.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) So I think the one thing about Japanese food that's so amazing is their mastery of um, their cooking style and I I know that we, you probably have a thousand and a half things to send people their way. If people were to want to infuse like a Japanese style of food, I'm curious, just like what kind of, I just, I love talking about Japan. We could talk about this for like another half an hour, but, uh, (laughs) um, what, what, uh, foods recommendations would you give to someone who wanted to experience a little bit of Japan in their kitchen at home?
1: Um. I'm going to pull up my list. I'm a list person um, because, yeah, I keep that little list of inspiring flavors. Um, and I have my little, I, I do it in sections. So it's, the sections are by region of the world. So for me, the Japanese flavor is my Japanese pantry, I would say. Um, umeboshi, which is their pickled plums, they're super salty. Um, and there's also an umeboshi vinegar, which is also super salty. Miso is a given. Nori is a given. Um, Sancho pepper is this crazy little uh, pepper that's almost tingly on your tongue, which is super amazing. Um, Shoyu, so soy sauce. Ponzu sauce I'm a big fan of. Um, Mirin, I always have on hand. And then there's a spice blend that's Japanese called uh, togarashi. I think it's shichimi, (laughs) Um, but it's this blend of everything from orange peel, chili peppers, sesame seeds, and it's amazing. I put it on everything. I put it on my grits. I put it on my eggs. I put it on my pizza. I put it on my noodles. I put it in my hummus. I could go on. I put it in everything.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you for going through your pantry for us.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's great. Oh, and shiso. Shiso leaf or shiso leaf powder. That's a good one, too.
0: Have you ever had plum wine in Japan?
1: Um, I haven't. I grew up, my dad really liked plum wine, but I feel like he really liked bad plum wine because he likes really sweet things, and so I just remember it as this really sweet thing my dad drank, but my husband, um, again, he's really, he was um, a coffee roaster and importer and is just really into beverage in general, so he did a lot of research on um, Japanese sake and Japanese beer so we run around and he tried a lot of that. He could tell you a lot more about it than I could, though.
0: <laughs> awesome. We'll have to talk because I discovered plum wine. I didn't even know it was an American, you know, availability for us. But yeah, yeah I had no idea. Um, but yeah, I fell in love with plum wine in Japan. That's crazy
1: because it was not just my dad. It was my dad's mom, too. So my grandmother and my father are like plum wine lovers. I don't know anything <laughs> about it, but got me interested <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, Beth, thanks so much for chatting with us and telling us all of your, your, your tips and everything. And thank you for speaking so honestly about, like, the art of cooking. I just want to, like, come join your retreat. And I wanted to know if you want to share any of the upcoming retreat dates um, or something we should keep an eye out for.
1: I would love to. Um, so we just have one spot left for our London retreat. We have two spots left for just a one-day workshop we're doing there for people who can't quite make it to a full retreat. And then after that, um, Japan is going to go on sale. And Japan this year is going to be from March 27th to March 31st. And it's great because it's um, blossom season, so the cherry blossoms are blooming that time of year there. Um, And that's going to go up, and then that's going to be it until we announce our summer retreats. So we're planning to be abroad from possibly June all the way through September and we're looking at it's still tentative but there's probably going to be something in Paris maybe even the south of France also Norway and Spain on this little island we did last year also it's called Formentera and it is just this beautiful paradise so we decided we'd uh, do an encore of that one and there may be another like surprise one we throw in while we continue to look at locations um, over the winter
0: Awesome. And uh, where can we find all of this information and where can we find everything that you do online?
1: Um, You can find me a couple of places. So you can find me on Instagram at local underscore milk. You can find me on my blog, which is localmilkblog.com. And you can find everything about our retreats on localmilkretreats.com. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Beth, and um, I'm going to have to pinch my pennies here and figure <laughs> out how I'm going to make this happen. But, I mean, thank, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I look forward to it. Beth, I really mean it. Thank you so much. Um, it's always an honor to have people like Beth on the podcast, um, and I've been following her work for so long, so this was a dream come true. Guys, make sure to check out our show notes where you can learn more about uh, Beth Kirby's blog, um, including those local milk retreats that we mentioned in our chat. Um, Beth, I'm still trying to figure out which one's working best for me, so keep an eye out for my name. I'm sure I will be at one in the future. All right, guys, you know what's coming next. Make sure to subscribe, comment, and review. If make, Show your support. We're excited about what's in store, and we have a ton of fun opportunities Um, for you guys and it would mean so much for us if you would share um, our podcast some love so that others like you can find out what we do we say it at the end of every episode but it really really makes it easier for other creative adventures to find the podcast and uh, yeah for more opportunities to come your way you can follow us along on instagram at rome and go lightly and also on twitter at rome underscore go lightly happy holidays everyone we'll see you in the new year